0: here with uh, uh, Professor uh, Christian uh, Bush, right? Is that how you say it? Or
1: Bosch? Bush is perfect.
0: Bush, perfect. Um, So he is an expert in uh, serendipity. And uh, I just thought it'd be really fun to meet up with him. The sort of norms with this channel. uh, I was just talking to him just before this. The norms with this channel is just to be as authentic and just, you know, treat this as we're just kind of hanging out um, rather than some sort of interview or anything like that. So I just want to make sure that we're um, all aware that we're just having fun here and horsing around. It's not really all that serious anyways. <laughs> I I mean, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe we can jump into that. Um, Christian, what's your thoughts and in, in sort of feeling, um, you know, what is this sort of serendipity thing? And then how do we
1: actually get into serendipity?
0: What does that actually mean?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, thanks thanks so much for having me, Dave. It's uh, yeah, wonderful to catch up with you. And uh, yeah, serendipity, you know, it's something, it has played a huge role in my own life. And then I've seen it pop up in my research as well. And so I got extremely interested in the kind of dynamics behind it. And what we've seen in our work is this kind of interesting difference between blind luck, which is all the things we can't really choose, right? Birth lottery, all these kind of things that create a lot of societal inequality. And then there's this active luck that serendipity is about, you know, where take the situation, you're in a coffee shop and you accidentally spill coffee over someone next to you. And that person looks at you slightly annoyedly, but you sense there might be something there. You don't know what it is. You just have a sense. And now you have a couple of options, right? One option is you just say, I'm so sorry. You walk outside and you think, ah, what could have happened had I spoken to that person? Option two, you speak with that person and it becomes the love of your life or your next research partner or co-founder or you name it. The point is how we react to the unexpected, that interaction between randomness and our own actions. That's really what creates that kind of beautiful serendipity that, that we talk about.
0: Yeah, it seems really interesting. I was kind of poking around and and seeing some of the stuff that you've written about this, and it seems that that explains a bit of your own story in terms of what happened. I'm not sure if you want to give any background on, um, you know, how you arrived upon this, this idea of serendipity in the first place. It seems really, to be honest, from a somebody that studies strategy and, you know, entrepreneurship and all that kind of stuff. Um, from my perspective, it seems weird, right? Like it is kind of off center from what everybody else is doing. Most people are sort of saying that you have to have this, this, this plan, and then you execute on this serve, very simple plan and everything works out for you. Um, and, and that, that's how we actually make a whole bunch of money. We become rich and 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 all of that kind of stuff so maybe if you can explain what happened in your life in terms of arrive upon uh, arriving upon the idea of serendipity i think that would be interesting for
1: everybody yeah yeah no it's a great question my my whole life feels like a, a you know amalgamation of coincidences and and things that somehow then um you know became serendipitous but um you know, I, I used to I have an entrepreneurial background, and so a lot of the kind of projects that I helped start and there was part of would be either serendipitous. You know, you meet your co-founder in the queue of a coffee shop, and then you get talking, and you're like, oh my god, we have something in common here, or or other kind of things. Same in my love life. But then what I found fascinating is later on in my research that the most successful inspiring people they seem to have something in common, right? They would all, you know, in board meetings and things, they would talk about planning and all these, exactly those kind of important things that you just mentioned. But then when you would talk with them kind of, you know, and and go deeper and deeper and deeper, they would say things like, yeah, you know, I had this plan and then I spoke with Hilda and Hilda told me this and this, and then we adjusted the plan and now it's a much better plan. But this is a story that like my board wants to hear. I planned this, then I did this, and then exactly that happened. And so, yeah. kind of, I want to tell the planning story. And so, what I found fascinating is that there seemed to be this mismatch between what we think the kind of official story is and how people officially talk about it, and then how emergent it actually is, right? And that goes back to Henry Minsberg and all those kind of things that, at the end of the day, strategy a lot of times is emergent. But what I found fascinating is that. In a way, what we try to figure out is, is there a way that combines the idea of planning with the idea of emergence? So you're neither planning and have everything under control, nor it's all emergent and you can't control it. And so that's really the idea of cultivating serendipity. This idea that, hey, can you create the conditions that make it more likely that you encounter interesting, positive, good things, but then also do something with it, but then make it part of your plan. To give you an example, if you're Ajay Banga at MasterCard, the the previous CEO of MasterCard, he would say something like, I want to get 500 million people who were previously unbanked into the financial system. That's our north star. That's our sense of direction. That's where we want to go. Here's the strategy. You know, we start here, then we go here. But I'm telling you already now that when Hilda in in Cape Town tells us that the story doesn't work with her, that the the, the narrative or the, the strategy doesn't work with her, we'll adjust it. And that is part of our plan. I think that kind of giving the license to build the unexpected into the planning, um, we're very curious about what are ways to do that and even simple things in in weekly meetings, right? What surprised you last week? If you ask that simple question, people start looking out for the unexpected. And that's where a lot of really interesting new ideas and things come.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. So you're getting at something that's, that's probably even more profound and deeper than just serendipity. I was thinking, you know, we have this sort of hypothesis testing mentality b- baked into science where we have to have this sort of hypothesis up front. And then we test this particular hypothesis. And often, almost always, right, we never find the results that we were expecting. And you know, one route, and this is the route that I took when I was doing my PhD, was, by the way, the whole reciprocity project is is kind of geared towards um, the way that I sort of imagine it is giving hope to to researchers around the world, um, because it's kind of like this really scary process, right? I mean, we can't figure things out, and there's often not a lot of people out there that are sort of being helpful, or you might be in an institution where it just doesn't have that. Um, so, yeah, we do this kind of hypothesis testing. We get these results that are either null results, they, they are not present, um, or there's something that's completely different. And our default that we're programmed in as, as researchers and, and scientists um, is that we assume that we did something wrong. Uh, how do we get around that? Um, and how do we sort of say, hey, wait a minute, maybe this wasn't wrong maybe this is the way it should have been should have turned out what what's your thought like how do you actually deal with that how did you arrive upon you know instead of assuming serendipity is something that's that's problematic
1: how do you actually jump on this yeah it's it's interesting cuz i'm a huge fan of whenever diving into a new topic to really first have conversations with people and really first try to understand what is really happening there not only what is the literature telling us about something but actually Let's talk to people who do it every day and then try to figure out what they're doing and then from there on build our hypothesis and test them. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of when you look at qualitative research, right, so research that you're doing kind of more based on interviews, observations and things like that. A lot of times you have serendipity in bait, right, because essentially what you're saying is you're going out there with a certain idea of something, some sort of hunch And then people tell you about something that is really counterintuitive. And you're like, wow, this is surprising. Let me dive deeper into this. And so what I find always like really useful and helpful is to think about um, not, you know, I think there's a lot of conversation always, am I a quant researcher or a qual researcher or this or that? And you know what I mean? Like, well, the method should follow, you know, what you're most intrigued about. And, 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 you know, the, the, the kind of what you're most intrigued about a lot of times, part of it might come from the literature, but part of it also really comes from understanding the phenomenon because you're in it, you you talk with people. And so I'm a really big fan, first talking with people and just kind of like listening in, like what is it that I wouldn't have expected? What doesn't really resonate with what I've read? And I feel that's where the interesting tension comes from then, that also when you look at the last years, right, um, I feel there's been a bit of a shift away from only thinking about theoretical gaps and, like, what is the kind of idea of what's the gap in the literature to, no, what's the tension here between what the literature says and what reality is, or even what's an empirical puzzle here that I don't understand and that I can dive into. And I think the way to get to that is just literally open mind, beginner's mind, right, Get into a context and saying, let me just ask all these, like, Basic questions first, but they might really illuminate a little bit um, more about this. And that was the same with this, like right? with the serendipity piece. It was really something where when you hear people speak, so when you hear someone like um, Ajay Banga, right, who would say, "I did this, and then unexpectedly this happened," and then in his mind first it would be something like, "Oh, this is this is passive, right? That something unexpected happened." But then when you feed it back and you're sense making together and you're saying, "No, what you're actually doing is you're cultivating serendipity." Then it's like, wow! Yes, true. Here's a language for what I've been doing that I didn't have before, and I think that's the beauty of what we can do as researchers. We can, we can, we can also be part of sense making, and and that's kind of, um, I think, then one of the most beautiful things um, to me, at least, where you feel, hey, I can also have an impact on that um, practitioner side. Yeah. Um,
0: so I was, I was just thinking about that because you've been actively constructing this, um, this this sort of paradigm I guess um, and doing different uh, in, in the Academy of management, for example, you organize this really amazing symposium or you know panel with different people talking about it who would have I was looking at the panel I was like hmm many of these people probably established the norms of understanding the world of hey, this is the the sort of normal way of doing decision-making, you sort of set these things out, these processes out. But, um, you know, you're almost at the forefront of saying, wait a minute, maybe we need a language of putting in more randomness, uh, more disorder uh, within the process. So that's interesting that you've kind of built in this community building aspect into what you're actually doing. Why, why have you chosen to do that? That seems from a uh, perspective of how we, so so a lot of the stuff you probably have, I don't know if you've seen me online. I, just, I really push back on the the norms of how we should do things and sort of try to give people a little bit of like gumption that we, we could do things that are a little bit unusual and sometimes it's really good. Um, sometimes you discover really cool things. So, what has been your um journey with coming towards this sort of community building aspect of, of research in in academia?
1: The, you know I, I found it intriguing when you think about what makes an interesting academic conversation, it's, you know, of course that we stand on the shoulder of some kind of giant that says, here's a certain assumption in the first place, and then what do we do with this assumption? And so what I found really interesting is that I think there is this kind of community of people who are working on serendipity. And I think that's a wonderful emerging community where essentially we're building on each other's work and we're developing that work. And and that's almost like where we preach to the choir, right? Because we are we we we've seen the similar things we we know that serendipity is an important kind of thing that has always been treated as variance and error factor and all these kind of things but actually it's much more important than that and so i think there there is this community of people who intuitively know that what we're doing is kind of brings us together because we we've seen it in practice and now we feel hey this should have a role in in theory as well but then i think there's exactly that kind of um you know let's say um kind of more established approaches and and theories where it just feels, hey, you have so much to say about this. And we really want to avoid reinventing the wheel. and We really want to avoid to somehow position these questions as they are the opposite of X, Y, Z. No, they are not. They're just really kind of saying, instead of seeing a friction here, that's just a dichotomy, we're seeing a paradox that you can potentially resolve by thinking about it in a more dynamic way. And I think that was kind of that symposium that you mentioned was really thought to be that to say, okay, let's take a couple of people who are deep, 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 deep in strategy, some people who are deep, deep, deep in innovation, who might have followed a certain approach. And then now it's a great opportunity to also say which of our assumptions 100% hold versus which of those 80% hold. And if they hold 80%, can we do something together to then kind of bring that to the next level? And so really kind of standing on their shoulders to develop that new thing versus saying we develop it independently, but then actually it's it's reinventing too many fields. And um, Ranjare Gulati said it beautifully, I think, this idea that, you know, everyone tried to give luck a chance. And I, I love that kind of idea of, you know, people gave luck a chance because as you know right a lot of people have written about luck and serendipity as like oh we shouldn't even study it because what is there that is managerially relevant like like you know there was like one quote was i think along the lines of you know shall i teach my managers to be luckier well yes maybe there is actually ways that we can do that and so that's kind of the interesting thing i think that we're questioning some of those assumptions but also saying we don't want to position that as opposite to something. We really want to position that as part of a bigger conversation around that strategy can be both emergent and planned and that that isn't saying one literature is wrong and the other one's right. It's more saying you both have amazing assumptions in parts and then some parts we can maybe kind of uh, complement here and, and build on that.
0: Yeah, um, so I was just thinking about um, how you've been able to get people to, to buy in or practice some of this stuff and what does it actually look like? when they practice more serendipity or being in, you know, just being in the moment, I guess, is what you're somewhat suggesting, right? Um, I'm sort of seeing that, hey, wait a minute, we could take a step back. And what we're pursuing is, is not right or wrong, but, you know, there might be some opportunities if we sort of go in this different direction that we wouldn't have assumed that was the right way to do it.
1: Well, and, and the interesting thing to your point is I think that there is so much work that can be done, uh, you know, around how do you actually then, you know, in that particular theme, like how do you cultivate serendipity if you think about it from when you build on existing theories, right? So there's some recent work, for example, around quantum approaches to management, which I find mind-blowing because it's essentially the idea of, you know, you have all this potentiality out there, all these potential things that could happen, right? So in this coffee shop example when you spill that coffee there's all these potential things that can happen but you only realize one of these things so only Mm -hmm. one thing actually happens and then it opens up all this new potentiality and so i think if you if you use those different types of approaches that allow you to capture something that previously maybe you didn't want to capture too much because it's it seems like you know it's easier to just count you know um things and, and and versus like maybe think about it in a sense that that there might be categories that can change and you can you can think about the potentiality of those categories and, and things like that. So long story short, I think where we can learn a lot from practice is that in practice we've seen a lot of those kind of approaches that increase potentiality, right? So to give an example, um, if you um, take the hook strategy, right? So imagine, um, David, you're going to AOM, right? So that AOM conference and... You go to uh, these kind of, you know, networking sessions and um, someone asks you, so David, what do you do? You could now say, oh, I'm David, you know, I'm working on um, this amazing reciprocity um, um, uh, the topic or, or podcast and, and that's what I'm doing. Right. So that's one thing that kind of you give them one potential dot. But if you were to say, I'm researching on XYZ, I'm really excited about this podcast, but what I'm really interested in is kind of you know, bringing my two-year-old daughter up at the moment, what you're doing here is you're giving them three potential dots, more potentiality where they could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence, we also just had a daughter, let's talk, such a coincidence, we also just worked on XYZ thing. And so it's really this idea where you can see in those kind of natural, almost natural experiments in some way or the other, um, how people can increase that potentiality space by literally offering a little bit more to people in terms of information, in terms of potential points, and things like that, and so I think it's it's almost then you know to ask the challenge always then is okay how do you measure these kind of things when you want to understand how that works out in a particular setting and then you take them to other settings. But I think that's the next twenty years of of, of research. I think right <laughs> there for everyone who's listening, um, I hope a lot of uh, a lot of people will do their PhDs on, on related topics. And David, by the way, this was like really the idea also of this symposium. Where we where we said right, hey look, let's bring together people like Henry Mintzberg and others who really have shaped the field of strategy and management, mm-hmm. and in a way legitimize a little bit that serendipity is a field or at least a phenomenon that's really worthy to be studied because it's it's something that um, doesn't you know that that is that is fresh enough so that you can really get a few new ideas that relate to existing topics, but at the same time also it's de-risked because um, you know yeah. maybe some of the interesting people talk about it.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that is such a big part of it is figuring about or figuring out how to de-risk things. I mean, it's for me, and and, and yeah, I've been in the field for a while now, um, I still get very nervous and anxious when I talk to people. And it's part of the reason why I probably do like one-word answers, like you're suggesting. Right? <laughs> like I'm not going to go into too much detail. And so the notion of making people feel okay with something, with okay with a certain idea. I mean, I've seen this with qualitative work right now, um, where at one point it was like, I don't know if you should do it, but I think most people are okay with doing qualitative work now. Um, the same thing with field experiments. The thing, same thing with replicating, replicating research. Right? Like that was a that was considered like. Why are you replicating research? That's kind of a stupid idea. We already know that, <laughs> right? Until we discovered, hey, wait a minute. Um, the stuff is when we replicate things, we find out that there's interesting things that are going on. So partly, the de-risking of things, I think, is a super important part. Um, and I think having this notion of, and I, I really love the the idea that Amy Emmonson sort of talks about the the psychological safety and feeling okay to say things, not necessarily like anything, right? Like shocking things that we see in, in sort of day-to-day life now um, that seem to go viral, but just like being okay with being who you are, I think is like an important part of of, of a researcher, an important part of, of doing the things that we actually do. Um, so how did you actually get to... How did you become a researcher yourself? So I was looking up a bit on your 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 bio, and it didn't de- didn't seem like that was the original course that you were intended on. But I'm not sure. I don't know if you want to talk about that so everybody else understands um, how we actually become the the thing that we become. Um, you know, go and become a scholar.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's been you know in, an intense search for meaning for a long time. Um, I. I had an experience early on in life that made me realize how quickly life can be over, and since then, I've been um, trying to figure out, you know, what gives me a lot of meaning, and I derive a lot of meaning. So, from, which, what's, what yeah.
0: was this experience? I think that
1: this is probably important to share and talk about. Yeah, uh, well, it was a car crash. So, I, I uh, in a juvenile hyper bullyish type, um, I you know crashed into four parked cars, all cars completely kaput. Mine too, and and uh, you know it, it's it was this kind of moment of complete powerlessness, like when the when the car was uh, you know um, uh, it, it, not controllable anymore, and and that was kind of um, extremely scary. Um, you realize how, or I realized how how fragile life is, how quickly life can literally just be gone and over. And uh, that was a period where I asked myself a lot of these kind of questions around, you know. Why am I here? What is this all about? Um, Would I have messed up my family's life? Would I have messed up, you know? So it it was a lot of kind of deep questions. And I read this amazing book, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which is all about, you know, how do we find meaning in in especially tougher situations? And um, I think what what I've kind of been sense-making ever since was that what what gives me a lot of meaning is really connecting ideas, people, connecting people with each other. So I started out as a community builder and entrepreneur and kind of trying to to, to do those connections. And then, you know, um, at some point it, it felt a little bit that a lot of the things we were doing was really reinventing the wheel and was kind of like, OK, great. Like this seems to have been there already. And in a way, when there is this intellectual curiosity, I, I kind of felt, OK, I want to learn more. I want to know more about all these things we're doing here and, and really kind of built a little bit more on that. And so the PhD was literally kind of out of a the conversation then of, of someone. I did my master's and someone was like, hey, Christian, have you ever considered doing that PhD literally out of this, like what you're doing, like out of out of your entrepreneurial things that could be a PhD. And so um, that was the conversation and, and out of that conversation then um, kind of, I ended up doing a PhD that was slightly different than I thought it would look like, um, you know. Don't oh, tell us about this. No, this is good. No,
0: no, no, no. That's, that's what I wanted to sort of get on <laughs> is to tell everybody's story um, that it's, it's always different. It's always unique.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the initial PhD was really the idea of let's study the organization that we were building, which a community of young innovators and helping them make the ideas happen. And so diving into that and then, at some point I realized, okay, maybe that is not necessarily the most interesting context for actually really understanding. Uh, at that point, it was more about meaning. How do you create meaning? How do you create impact? How do you like create uh, ventures that have more impact? Things like that. Um, and so again, a couple of conversations um, led then more into context of poverty and context of, of where people don't have a lot of networks to, to start out with and a lot of resources. And so um, then there was a kind of whole journey of which now finally some of the papers like it sounds incredible for those of you who do quant but when you do a qual paper um, some of the papers that we started back then in 2009 2010 now are being published so it's kind of like it's <laughs> it's literally a it was a 15-year journey I mean the data collection analysis but then also review processes and all these different types of things um, and so they are only now coming out but what I found fascinating is that it's almost we started out more with uh, kind of what makes impact, what creates that kind of really interesting uh, networks that can create an impact and so on. But then serendipity popped up more and more literally everywhere. And so that was, in a way, the thing that I felt I was most interested in then to see, hey, my personal life that seemed to be a lot about serendipity, I can see that in my research too. And so that was almost a homecoming then of saying, wow, like, thank you for actually leading me back to what I seem to be most excited about, which is that kind of, um, you know, making meaning in context and context and serendipity in a way.
0: Yeah. Um, so for those of you, so first I was, I didn't want to interrupt you. That mm-hmm. um, So Victor Frankl was, a, I believe, a psychologist that survived concentration camps. Um, am I right? And, and I believe that's the, the scenario. And he was trying to figure out like, how was it that some people still had an un sort of they they've kind of thrived in those moments when everybody else was going through despair um in you know talking about some of the more softer stuff in our lives is a really important part i think um you know i always and this is one of the more challenging things that we deal with is that um you know that that particularly with like a PhD is, is so much of like discovery. Um, and I was thinking about this as you were, were talking about it, like there had to been moments where, I mean, how did you come up with the idea of serendipity itself? Right? Like I, that's, it's very difficult to come up with a construct or a name. Um, and I often struggle with that all the time. And I don't know what it is that sort of drives those things. So I'm kind of curious to see how you develop this
1: idea. It was that, uh, you know, it, I was bombarded uh, from different sides with it. And I, I, you know, first when you think, oh, this is a bit of a concept that is, that is too far away from what you can do research on, which in my case, you know, I had people around me saying, hey, look, Christian, don't work on this. Like, this is kind of. <laughs> you know, for the suicide right like to to, to yeah to work those kind of topics and 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 to my delight though it just kept popping up and popping up and at some point i just couldn't say no anymore and so it was kind of um because you know in my entrepreneurial life we the community that we set up back in 2007, 2008, that was a community that was essentially, we, we called it a serendipity accelerator. So like in our own life, we were all about serendipity. But again, in the research, it was more about that's not a topic I can really study. So let me study more about meaning and 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 networks and impact and things like that. But then, you know, over time, it's just you, you speak with really interesting you know, leaders and they would always kind of come back to this idea of, hey, look like unexpected this. And then I did this. And so um, after time, then it was just um, that even if people didn't use the term for it, it would be the underlying idea would be that there was just serendipity everywhere, especially in poverty contexts. And so I found that extremely fascinating that, you know, the one organization that I've been working with now for over 10 years in in one context in, in, in South Africa, they out of necessity cultivate serendipity all the time because they don't have a choice. Like that's the only way to survive that you somehow create your own luck locally. And so I've, I became extremely fascinated by this. So again, if you see that the CEO of MasterCard has very similar kind of patterns as the social entrepreneur somewhere in the Cape Flats in Cape Town to oneself, then like there's so many patterns at some point where like I just can't ignore those patterns anymore. I got to dive deeper into those patterns as well yeah um so
0: two things that i was thinking when you're when you're doing this the first one was it's like as soon as somebody says don't do that that's usually like oh my gosh that is the 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 route that you should be going in right like almost every single time i mean so that the 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 sort of field is going this way it's kind of boring and then there's like something that you want to pursue and then the other thing is um you know it's 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 very so I think if I was thinking as somebody, maybe it's an MBA or maybe an undergrad student, and they're 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 looking at this and they're saying, "Hey, wait a minute!" Like somebody that is in, um, you know, some some village in South Africa, they're going to have absolutely no relations. They're not going to be very similar to um, people that are, you know, maybe the CEO of, of Mastercard, like. How do you draw the connections between human beings in those particular
1: scenarios? Well, it, it's it's fascinating, right? So this one study that we did with, um, with that organization where, you know, serendipity popped up all the time, one of the key patterns that came out of that was they're extremely good at reframing situations, right? So they look at a particular situation and then they say, okay, is there still something in here? Is there still an opportunity in here? If, let me give you an example with COVID, when COVID happened, um, you know, they are an organization that delivers low-cost education to people. So it's things like 10 steps to use social media to build a business, things like that. And they're embedded in a kind of really tough community where high crime rates, high unemployment rates. So it's a community where people usually don't get access to education that much. And so it's, it's really kind of the one way to, for people to get a little bit of access to education. And so they essentially, um, you know, Offered that in person. So people would come to their centers and then they would offer that in person. When COVID happened, that unexpected event, they were like, oh, okay, you know what? Maybe we can use WhatsApp and and kind of related things that people have here to deliver nano courses. And those nano courses now, actually, they're also selling to companies as a product. And so what happened is they they, out of necessity, have those kind of things where the unexpected happens all the time. And then they connect the dots frequently where they're like, oh, maybe we can still see something in this and do something with it and then turn that into something that actually... Now, looking back for them, becomes a key business model part also. And so that is the same you see with uh, a CEO at MasterCard who would be really good at saying, you know what, there's a crisis, but let's not waste that crisis. Let's do something with it. First. Second, I think there's a lot of this um, kind of really interesting, um, you know, especially in that context that people are so used to the unexpected, but at the same time, they want to plan as much as they can. And so this kind of balance between somehow planning, but also then constant openness to the unexpected good or bad and that's again the same with really smart CEOs who are really good at saying hey you know I can't give you certainty but I can give you clarity and I think that's kind of the the really like smart thing that a lot of them figured out and the third thing I think something that, that has always struck me and with any people you know any person I've met around the world the level of curiosity I think with like ex- extremely interesting inspiring purposeful high-impact leaders are extremely curious they they ask why all the time and that's kind of the same the social entrepreneur in, in Nairobi that we worked with the social entrepreneur in uh, Cape Town to the CEO of whatever company that they are just asking why a lot and I think that kind of you know approach to just hey I don't assume I have it all figured out you know what I'll, I'll figure it out together here with you and so I think that's kind of a, um, a pattern as well that we've seen.
0: Yeah. How do we, how do we um, train people? How do we get people to to ask why more often? What is it? Like, I I, I really struggle with this because, um, I mean, first of all, I, I would love to get my kids to to be curious. Um, by the way, one of them is probably just about to come in from school, <laughs> but just to be more like curious in the world. But I also want to figure out how do I connect? One of the things I really struggle with as um as a as a professor, and particularly teaching undergraduate students, because I think that there's a bit of an age gap, but how do I connect with them so that they are just curious about the world? Um,
1: and, and, you know, what's what do
0: we do in this circumstance?
1: You know, I've, I've always been a big fan of Ken Robinson, who unfortunately recently died, but he was this um, brilliant, brilliant mind to research a lot around uh, creativity. And he essentially he had this story, right? Um, i'm I'm just paraphrasing, but essentially it was along the lines of there was this kid in high school, and you know teachers were like, oh my God, she's always kind of like hibbling around and like she's never really focused and everything else. And so one day he's like, okay, let me invite the parents. Let me put the kid alone in a room. And I'll just put some music and see what happens. And so they stand outside. The kid doesn't see them. Kid sits inside. He just puts some music and sees how the what the kid does. And the kid starts dancing. And he says to the parents, you know what? Your kid is a dancer. Your, your kid, like, if we put her too much into the math ses- sections here and all this kind of stuff that in a way doesn't connect with her inner world too much in that sense. And it, it kind of really, it maybe maybe like, it, he would always use that idea of it. it, it we educate her out of creativity. And, and so it's really kind of this idea that I think we might go into a session and think, oh, there's the one content we want to teach and the one thing that then we test in the exam and they should all know. But the one way that, that I found to be extremely like, you know, effective is once people get curious about something because they genuinely care about it, because it relates to their own life. So to, to give you an example, uh, that organization that I just mentioned, what they're really good at is to say, instead of using these examples like Peter came to school and he has two apples and here are two more apples like now Peter has four apples What they would say the kids in there in their vicinity would say we don't have anyone like who is called Peter in this vicinity like everyone here is called different than Peter like Peter is like such a kind of like you know US kind of type like name so oh, yeah. first like change like you know like make it our lived reality make it like you know what, what, what we really experience every day and then relate it to somehow that, that something that, that we're really curious about and I've seen that in my own in my own sessions whenever I use this kind of like high level examples of like big CEO this big CEO this it's just very far away from people versus if it's kind of like hey look this is the local, like, subway owner, here he is, and you're going to work with them anyways over the summer because you're kind of, you need to make some money on the side. Like, this is how they think about this. And then they kind of, like, get really curious about, oh, wow, yeah, like, what, what could we do uh, and learn about it? So not being too far away from the kind of examples we use, but also then um, really kind of having something that they, you know, care about. It's, it's like in our own lives, no? We want to care about something. Versus, um, But um, but I guess we, nobody has really figured it uh, completely out right that's that's our journey of learning to yeah out. yeah yeah absolutely yeah no I I,
0: I mean I, that's why I've been so um somewhat personal with everything that I do particularly online that you see right like I I, I try to be as personal as possible it's because like um you know there's got to be somebody else that feels the same way as I do or there's got to be somebody else that's, that's resonating and if I start talking about and I actually learned that Through doing this so if you don't know the whole story with the reciprocity project actually um so i put out this um my second year or third year of assistant professor here at the institution that i'm at i'm not going to disclose it but most people would recognize it um they I, i wanted to get some editing done in my work and i couldn't get editing done because i couldn't afford it and i was like well i teach entrepreneurship i teach uh, innovation I could build this thing so I go and try to put this thing together and what I realized along the way was hey it's you know it's one thing to build the the product so I built the product put it online nobody paid attention to it nobody cares right so I talked to somebody and and there were somebody that was kind of in the software industry they're like can you do YouTube videos right so I started doing YouTube videos and if it was like kind of instructional and about the particular thing, nobody cared, right? But as soon as I started talking more about the personal experiences and the you know the challenges that we face, like sometimes it's it's a little difficult um, to to be a researcher or an academic or a graduate student or um, you know just doing life in general, balancing parenting when when you have a high demand career. Um, it's it's often very difficult, right? And then figuring out and sort of telling, hey, this is how I basically deal with it. And a lot of it is just like, hey, just disregard as much as I possibly can. <laughs> Which is like um, advice that was given to me by my uh, one of my sort of mentors a long time ago. And he was reading there was a book um, about I'm, he's a physicist that was out in California. I can't remember the guy's name now. He's really well known. Um, but that was the way that he coped with things, which is like disregard the rest of the world and figure out how you could just kind of live your thing and be as normal and functional as possible. Um, so I, I mean, I'm greatly what you're suggesting with a sort of serendipity, the idea of a personal connection, the idea of that you need to just be there somehow. I, I truly resonate with what you're saying. I think it's it's a it's. It's a great research project that you're working on.
1: Well, and and thank you. And and I think, you know, you're a great example, I think of, look, AI is coming, right? So we have enough machines and robots, so we might as well be human, right? Like in terms of like, and that we have it all figured out. and, um, and, And I think that's kind of the thing where, you know, when you think about how do we connect with people, why do we connect with people? Because there's something that's worth connecting about, right? And and usually that's, you know, content is all nice and stuff, but like we probably have very similar challenges. We have, you know, we go through identity crises, especially as researchers, right? Like we um, we probably have them more frequently than other people. That <laughs> Oh my God, like, you know, what is this all about? And, <laughs> and, that. and so why wouldn't we talk about it? And I think this is kind of, you know, I found that always really interesting with Pixar, for example. I felt they did that differentiation really nicely between perfection And excellence that the core point was always like if you try to be always be perfect like then you you shoot yourself in the leg because you're constantly under stress you you will never be kind of your most creative but if you strive for excellence so that your outcome should be excellence right you want to have an a paper or whatever it is but then the process itself is is messy the process itself will not be perfect and that's okay right we we kind of avoid whatever avoidable mistakes we can avoid, but also we learn from the things that that didn't work. And I think, you know, I see that a lot in organizations where people always love to talk about the things that do work, right? So successes, but we can obviously learn much more from the things that didn't work. And so building a culture that allows people to talk about the things that didn't work in a way that doesn't feel like, okay, now tomorrow you can step them in the back because now they opened their heart too much, right? And I think that comes back to your um, earlier point about, psychological safety and how we in a way can you know do the Brittany brown kind of um vulnerability without oversharing so this kind of okay yes i want to connect with you on a deep level of course i don't want to throw all my problems at you at the same time and and kind of overwhelm you with it but at the same time look we're both humans and we we both um want to connect over things we really care about versus talk for 20 minutes about the weather right and i think that's kind of in a way where why i'm such a big fan of these like simple practices of you know asking questions differently instead of asking what do you do asking what brings you here or what do you enjoy doing it's like very s- small shifts in how we ask questions but what it does is it opens up the opportunity space getting away from boxing people into positions into roles into one yes or no question to no i'll 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 let you go wherever you want to go if i ask you what brings you here you can say Oh, what brings me here is my daughter who brought me here. Or you can be like, I'm on a journey towards meaning, and like I'm trying to figure it all out, and I'm here now because my daughter pulled me here. But my point is, you can answer those questions on whatever level you want, and I think that's kind of I've always loved these questions where you allow the other person to choose whatever they feel most comfortable with, where they want to go, versus what you do, um, and then you know putting people into boxes and things. Yeah, that's super cool. So I have a, a probably a, a pointed question, but we
0: probably should get going fairly soon. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, so I'm another 10 minutes or so. Um, is that OK, so um, have you found meaning <laughs> and what does that look like? Do you think that you have more meaning today than you do
1: 10 years ago? It's it's really coming back to Viktor Frankl, I think that I've been fascinated by his kind of between the lines kind of idea of duality of meaning in a way that that, you know, this idea of, you know, when he was in the toughest situation, you can imagine concentration camp where no hope, like, you know, you essentially like objectively, there's no meaning. But then he proactively created meaning for himself, right? He said, okay, I still wanna write this book once I get out of here. So that is kind of my big purpose, my big meaning, my big thing out there that I strive for, my stretch goal in a way. And then, hey, there's so many people here who I can help feel make better by just speaking with them. And so, hey, I want to speak with all these people. So every day now I still have a person I need to speak with, so I have a reason to. Wake up tomorrow morning. So I have some sort of micro meaning here as well, and so I've always been inspired by this idea of can you build that duality into your life? Where I feel I have a lot of micro meaning at the moment, where you know there's there's micro tasks in my days that feel very meaningful. You know, writing a bit, um, um, kind of related to the book and 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 things like that. And then there's kind of the bigger thing, which is hey, look, um, this 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 book, um, you know, that that brings together all the research I've been doing. I feel the next 10 years I want to spend even more time on how do we get that into more curricula? How do we get that into more organizations? And so that in a way is kind of my, my broader um, theme. Um, And then, you know, the reason why life feels even more meaningful now though than 10 years ago is is certainly my daughter and and my wife who, you know, um, at this additional layer that I didn't even know existed. Because I think when you're so, you know, when you're very um, passionate and purpose driven, like I think, I certainly missed out on that kind of whole idea of, you know what, there's also like the things that really ground you and that anchor you and that actually built that additional layer that is just, you know, so much more meaningful in terms of joy. And so um, that is the most joyful thing now, right? I mean, those of you who know, who have family, you know how there's nothing more joyful than see your kids smile at you, right? You know that probably uh, from your own life. It's just, it, it adds a layer that you can't get, I think, from from other things in life and so um from that perspective it feels more meaningful now but in general i think it's more the journey Um, it's more the like i'm I, i stopped aiming for things that like to get them to reach them right so i'm still very excited right like yes this paper is published or this qualification is achieved and things like this but i've realized right as soon as you achieve it like then the next one comes and the next one comes so aiming for a particular goal and then Attaching too much to that goal, um, a lot of times might not lead to the kind of real satisfaction versus the kind of journey itself. Like, do I enjoy working towards that? And that, to me, comes back to our initial point of the conversation. Like, if you're in academia because you you, you kind of um, you want a stable job and you somehow want tenure and things like that, I think that's gonna make it tough because you, in a way, it's really the process. When you look back in twenty years and you're saying did I actually live life? Like you want to say, yes, like I worked on something that felt meaningful. And and so, so that's kind of, I think coming back to our conversation, like what is, what feels truly meaningful. And even if people say that it doesn't make a lot of sense to them, they might still be there.
0: Yeah. And then like, I like so. So there's two things I was thinking about. The first one is, is, is writing a book is in, in at least in our genre of academia is considered like uh, I don't know if you should be doing spending your time and effort doing that. You should be doing writing papers, right. Research papers, because that's what sort of pays off in the long run. But um, you know why so first of all, why why write a book versus doing you know more research papers? And by the way, kudos to you, that takes a lot of courage, um, given the sort of you know culture that we, that we have with this. Um, and you know, it's, it truly is an amazing thing that you did. Uh, it's very, very difficult. I don't most people don't realize how difficult it is to sort of stand up and say, "Hey, I'm just gonna do this because I think it's actually, the thing for me. And then the other thing that I think about in terms of meaning, right? So um, as you were talking, and I, I was thinking about a young kid, and, and at least with my kids, when they were younger, you know, three or four years old, they would stop and stare at a mud puddle. And they would just look at everything that's in that mud puddle. And most boats sort of walk past that mud puddle, and they wouldn't say, you know, it would just look like a mud puddle. It's dirty and whatnot. But, but to, to somebody at that age, it's got all sorts of amazing things. And then I actually study is to look at mud puddles. We overlook them all the time, but think about all of the chemistry. Think about all of the amazing things that are going on. And it's such an inspiring thing to actually look. At mud puddles but everybody else is gonna be like ah to heck with mud puddles right so it's just i just think it's really cool it depends on how you define what your meaning is and what you're actually ab- about i think it's a lot of it is thinking you know what's going on like in, inside of you in some degree so um i don't know if you wanted to share about your your idea to, to write a book um so for those of you um, who, who will watch this. And by the way, the way that YouTube works, if you didn't know, it's like not too many people will watch this now, but over the course of many, many years, lots of people watch this. So <laughs> Christian uh, wrote a book called The Serendipity Mindset. And, um, you know, the, the, the gist of it is serendipity matters. Um, and in our field, writing books is, you know, it's un- unusual. So I don't, I'm not sure if you wanted to answer that, or you had any sort of thoughts about why, what,
1: what drove you to write a book? Yeah, um, yeah, and and also to to your to your uh, other point, right? I feel the the interesting thing about what you mentioned about the kind of thing, right, where some people might stop versus other people might say, "Oh, this is just you know nothing I would ever be um, curious about." I think this is the beautiful thing. I think and the beautiful opportunity we have as researchers to say. Can I find a context that 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 excites me? Right. You will see some people who have worked on you know different theories, but always in the medical sector because they are just really really curious about like everything that has to do with medicine. And so it's almost kind of like I think for us, like if we can find like a context that really um, we're intrigued by, then even if we don't always like the theories and all these kind of things that come with it, um, we might as well still find it meaningful to be there. And so I think it's it's really um, you know when looking at a PhD especially, and then later on, um, I've always looked at it as a beautiful opportunity space where you can figure out ideas, you can meet people, you can somehow in conversations with people, create new knowledge. I mean, what more beautiful is there in the world? And so I think that's kind of, um, in a way, I think a very privileged thing that, um, you know, that a researcher is allowed to do, that they get time to explore those kind of uh, mud battles and and, 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 and do that. and, And then, hopefully kind of embedded with, with, with something that really um, uh, carries the conversation forward. Um, and that's the same, you know, with a book, the, the initial reason um, I find book writing extremely interesting, especially, I mean, the, the way this book was structured was, um, and I think we briefly talked about this, right, in, in writing also in terms of um, that, I think papers are highly priced, right? So papers is the kind of currency that in a way allows you to have a career and everything else. Um, at most institutions and then what a book allows you to do is it allows you to have a bit of an excuse to just read into all the adjacent literatures and um, and to just kind of put all the bigger picture ideas together and 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 perhaps kind of somehow build an identity around it one way or the other Mm. Um, and that's what i by the way completely underestimated how much then the book content itself even if you have other papers like becomes in a way your identity Mm-hmm. Um, and you know fortunately in this case it was you know what I felt was my identity but um, I, I you know it could have it, it could have gone different um, so I, I found it fascinating how much a book then defines you in, in one way or the other um, but the the key reason was really to say look there's all these different papers and all this different research we're doing, all these different stories can I bring this all together in, in one kind of bigger picture idea that that hopefully then can also you know be, taken into curricula, it can hopefully be used by others. And so it's really um, about that kind of how do you scale an idea? And I feel a book is a beautiful way to scale ideas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's it's kind of like basically your platform,
0: right? <laughs> Where yep. you, you build on top of it with different things yep. eventually. Yep. Um, you know who does this well? I'm not sure if you know of him, but Eric von Hippel does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, you know, creates a series of papers and then he... Creates a book at the end of it, he's done that a few times. Um, and and it's it's nice because it sort of creates this platform to 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 build off of. And I don't know. I, I think that's a it's a really nice perspective. Hey, bud. <laughs> Hello. I can't see you by the way. I only see. Oh, last... I know. I was trying to fix that. I, the, <laughs> I don't know what happened. Um, so my son just came in. Hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs>
1: Hi, I, I don't you, know if I'm
0: in the. You are. You're, you're live.
1: live. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I just came Okay. Okay. Can
0: you go outside. Yeah, you can. Oh, I'll be done in just a second. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks. Um. So, is there anything that you wanted to share with this audience? So, there's predominantly. I mean, it's everybody. Um. In. In. It's. it's pretty widely oriented but a lot of it's going to be more geared towards education i guess um is there anything that you want to share that we
1: didn't cover at this moment with with this audience well I, i think a lot of what we talked about and and you know i i think this is also the you know testament to your great work that you in a way make make research and the research life relatable right and i think it's um if i think about what on the journey so far and I'm certainly, you know, like there's so much journey uh, to go. And and the thing that I enjoy the most at the moment is kind of in a way finding out who are the kind of people I truly want to have the conversation with, because if you're writing a paper, like you're entering obviously a conversation with someone and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, at some point I think the more you go to conferences and the more you see also, the people behind the citation—who—who who is that actually? You also see a little bit more who's actually my people. Who's the people who actually really develop those kind of ideas, and and um, and then maybe a co-author with them. And um, I, I've seen that kind of like only like several years in like the kind of idea of who of those could also be my mentors, and I could work with them, and I could so really kind of seeing like when we read a paper, not only seeing the content of the paper, but also the people who are behind that content and really kind of then entering a conversation with them trying to grab a coffee with them i mean that's what i enjoy the most now that kind of it makes the papers come alive right when you have the people behind the papers um and and so i'm just a huge fan of of going to those kind of conferences and things and then um the big picture i think from everything we talked about is is really when you think about the idea how life really unfolds um i think in our own life as researchers there's obviously the big role of serendipity both in terms of when we research and how we make kind of topic that we're interested in by coincidence, but also, you know, how our career will unfold. And I think um, a lot of what this work tries to do is to say, how do we turn the unexpected from just being a threat to also potentially being an ally, a friend, because you can find even more interesting things in life. And so I think um, if there's one thing that people take from this conversation, it's hopefully that, At the end of the day you know we live in a world that's so ambiguous so high uncertainty but it doesn't always have to just be something that threatens us but it can also be something that in a way when you look at people you know who have had interesting careers that are the kind of periods where they grow the most where they find the most and where they then end up in in something really interesting so maybe it's it's kind of getting back to the victor Frankel. you know there's always hope in interesting situations especially when it feels most ambiguous I love
0: that. Um, I think that this is a great time to stop at this moment. Um, that was a I couldn't have said it better than myself. <laughs> so I apologize that I wish you could see me right now, but I'm smiling and <laughs> I'm very sympathetic to what you said. And hopefully other people get to see this in the future and, and they, they they resonate. Maybe they, they get something from it. But if you need to reach out uh, to Christian, I'm sure he would be, very ha- happy to to chat with you. Um, right now, he's at uh, the University
1: of South Carolina. I believe he just moved, right? University of of Southern California, exactly. California, in, in, in Los yeah, Angeles. Right. The um, other yeah. USC. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, um, always welcome here. As you can see, it's very, uh, you know, it it is it is uh, it is worth the uh, <laughs> worth the trip. <laughs> um, uh, yeah it's you know coming from from new york um where where everything was uh you know how it is like there's there's uh, seasons and here it's just it's always always sunny always warm always nice and so um yeah but it's an open invitation um and and, and if there's anything i can help with and david i, I we talked about right like how you, like book writing those kind of things i am uh, extremely excited always to see how i can be part of other people's yeah. journeys who are, especially when it's a journey where, you know, some people might push back on. I mean, it feels vulnerable, right. To go mm-hmm. past that might not be the most explored ones yet, but also I feel that kind of brings us closer together than as, as people who try to do that. And so, um, yeah, it's an open invitation and thank you so much, uh, David, for, for, uh, for this great platform and um, for connecting. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um,
0: if, at one point, you think of somebody that should be on the the reciprocity um, YouTube channel or whatnot. I'd, hopefully, I'll try to put this in many different sources as possible. This is what I do when I'm laying in bed when I'm ready go to sleep. Um, but we'll we'll get your we'll get your word out so everybody can hear um, about the serendipity mindset. So, but thank you so much. I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the day. Go hopefully go to a coffee shop and spill a little bit of coffee on, on somebody at the coffee shop and see what happens. Okay. Well, thanks so much, David. Have a good one. All right. Take Bye. care. Bye.
1: Bye.